Well, good morning, church. We are going to be in Luke chapter 15. If you want to go ahead and get there while I'm getting situated. Luke 15. So as we continue in worship this morning, let's, let's ask the Lord's blessing on this time, and then we'll dig into the Word. God, thank you so much that you've given us an opportunity to worship through song, through giving, through prayer, and now we continue the time of prayer and worship as we enter through the word. God, I pray that your spirit would speak to our hearts. You would reveal to us how glorious your grace really is. You would show us the love of the Father, and we would leave today celebrating you, not just celebrating you, but going and telling people of a God who loves. Lord, we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning, what we're going to see in our text is that God's love is not based on our obedience or disobedience. Rather, it's just based on the grace of the Father. This morning, we're going to be in Luke 15, and it's been called the parable of the lost son. But I think that's a distraction from what's really going on here. See, uh, we'll talk about this a little bit more, but Luke 15, we, we have three, we have one parable and three stories. We've got the parable of the, the lost son. We've got the parable of the lost coin and the parable of the lost sheep. And if you, as we study this, what we're going to see is the, if it, the emphasis isn't on that which is lost, rather the one who's doing the searching. So that's what we're going to see in our text. But before we do, we need to understand, like I said, that Luke 15, it's all one parable with one truth, okay? But the key to understanding the whole, the whole chapter is found in verse 1. So let's look at verse 1 real quick. Oh, my page flipped on me while I was, while I was getting all situated. So ver, uh, verse 1. Now, the tax collectors and the sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes, they were grumbling, saying, this man receives sinners. So let's... Let's talk about what's happening here. So sinners and, 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 and tax collectors, the worst of the worst are coming to Jesus. And the scribes and the Pharisees, they're, they're a little bit jealous. They're sitting in the back in the peanut gallery and they're gossiping. And they're saying, this, this, this man receives sinners. So let's talk about, because this whole chapter is about the love of the Father. So let's talk about how these two groups of people, the, the religious and the, and the sinner, would have understood God's love before we see how Jesus is going to explain it. So the sinner would have understood God's love towards the Pharisee as, like, the Pharisee, the religious, deserved God's lo love because they're so awesome and, and religious and did all the things. But they would have understood themselves as sinners as detestable before God who, and deserving God's wrath. So that's how, that's how the, the, the sinner would have understood it. And the Pharisee, the, the religious, would have understood that the religious people deserve God's love and that the 
sinner deserves God's wrath. So pretty, pretty, both of those people, those groups of people are understanding this in the same vein. But you'll see this on the screen. The Jew, the Pharisee, and the sinner alike did not understand what Jesus is about to reveal about the love of the Father. The love of the Father is not based on your ability to perform or obey. We need to drill this into our minds. God's love is not based on your ability to perform or obey. The love of the Father is based on your relationship with him as his child. So Jesus, he then, he, he turns to these men and he addresses them with this parable. And remember, this parable has three stories. And the point of all the stories and all the parables here is that God rejoices at the repentant heart. That's the point of everything that's taking place, is that God is rejoicing in the one who repents. But also, he's going to show that the Pharisee is a sinner in need of God's grace as well. So let's, let's talk about our first story in chapter 15. We won't be reading this one. So the first story is about this shepherd who has a hundred sheep. One, one sheep goes astray, and the shepherd leaves the 99 to find the one. He finds that one, and he invites his neighbors and his friends, and they celebrate. And Jesus says this in verse 7. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. So again, he's addressing both both groups of people, the religious people and the sinner. So Jesus then, he just immediately launches into another story. <clears throat> Excuse me. And this is of a woman who has, she's a poor woman, she's lost this coin, and she flips her house upside down looking for the coin. She finds that coin, and then what does she do? She invites her neighbors, and, and they celebrate, and, and this is, this is what she says, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I've lost. Jesus says, Just so I tell you that there is more joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So again, put yourself in, there are two groups of people listening to this. This is not, Jesus is just not telling the story, this story for the sake of his health. He's talking to people. And the religious would have got that, that backhand in the first story. And the, the, the sinner, they're probably just trying to wrap their mind around what Jesus is saying, that, that God is rejoicing over a repentant sinner. So that's, that's, you got to feel the moment that these people are in. There's one group that's really frustrated, and there's another group that's probably quite confused. <laughs> so, um, but what we need to see from this, that God's love for you and me is, is that he's genuinely excited when we repent of our sin. God's not like, there she is again. All right, we'll just come on back. There is rejoicing in heaven over the sinner who repents. He, he's genuinely glad. Because I think we, we, we make this picture of God like he's up there ready to smite us at all times from all the thou shouts that we got drilled into us as babies. Well, yeah, there are rules and there is condemnation for the sinner, but if, if it was all about smiting, he would not have sent the Christ, right? He, he takes joy in us. So what I want you to see, the story, we're about to launch into the text, 
But I want you to notice that this story, it's not, it's not about the son that's the sinner. It's not about the son who stays by the father's side. This story is about the love and forgiveness of a father. This, these stories, the point of, of this big parable is that there's one who's searching for that which is lost. So let's, let's read Luke 15, 11 together. We're going to read 11 through 32. That's going to be our text for this morning, but we'll, we'll just read 11 through 15 to begin with. <clears throat> and he said, there was, a young, <clears throat> there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me my share of property that is coming to me. And he divided the property between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into the far country and squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in the country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the field to feed the pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. So in verses 11 through 15, what we see here is the shame of the son. So just to recap the story real quick, there's this man, apparently seems to be a rich man by the, the way the story goes. He's got two sons. One of the sons says, I want my inheritance now. When do we get inheritance? When somebody dies. So the son's like, Look, I'm done being here. You're dead to me. I'm ready to go. Give me what's coming to me. And, you know, the father didn't have to. Kind of like our, our father allows us to make our choices. He doesn't force us. The father didn't force him to stay. He gave him what was his and allowed him to go. So the young man took the money and he ran far away. He's going to make a name for himself. He's going he's gonna to start a home. He's going he's gonna, to he's gonna, uh, grow, do all the things, become a better man. than his, he, he, He's leaving. He's getting far away from his dad and, and what his dad was like, and he's going he's gonna to do it on his own. We see that, don't we, in real life, right? And Jesus says what took his father and his father's father and his father's father lifetimes to accumulate the sun squanders in just a matter of days then a downturn happened in the economy bad, bad, bad things took place and now he was broke and he had nowhere to go so the son hired himself out to a foreigner and again putting yourself in the shoes of these people helps us understand what's taking place so a foreigner uh Foreigners were considered unclean. And for him to go work for this foreign man was literally beneath him. He brought shame on himself by doing so. And then further, the, he, he's working with pigs. Pigs were considered ceremonially unclean. So this guy, he's, he's, he's shamed himself by working for this foreign guy. He's shamed himself by working with the pigs. And he's He's so destitute, he's so hungry, he's so in need that he is willing to eat the food from the pig slop. But he doesn't even get to. 
So not only could he not make it on his own, but he brought shame and disgrace on himself. You know, many of us, we can, re- we can relate to this, this younger son, can't we? we? We've made for ourselves a pigsty because of the sin of our filth. We, we've done it. Uh, we've chased after the things of the world that promised us that they would make us happy, and they didn't. And we just, we came up spiritually broke. We, we get it. We, we've been in the mud with the pigs. And again, I want you to feel this moment. Like, the Pharisees, finally, in my mind, they're breathing a sigh of relief right now. They're like, finally, this rabbi gets it. Finally, he's going to show these sinners exactly what's coming to them. And put yourself kind of in the seat of the sinner here. They're already confused about the last two stories, kind of wrap their mind around that, because Jesus is literally blowing up their worldview. And now they're like, yeah, that's about what I thought. We, 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 we do deserve what's coming to us. We, we did that. Um, but that's, that's, not the, that's, not, that's not Jesus. That's not what we're going to find. Jesus tells good stories because they have... Uh, they have endings that are unexpected. So let's look at verse 17. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread to eat? But I perish here with hunger. I, I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you, and feel... Like, he, he, he's really getting into it because he needs to convince the father to let him back in the house. I've sinned against heaven and before you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, His father saw him and felt compassion and ran to him and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. And put, put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found and they began to celebrate. What we saw in verses 17 through 24 is that the father covers the sin and shame of the son with his grace and with his love. So Jesus, he starts out in verse 17, he says, the boy finally came to himself. We, we've only seen the boy have bad ideas so far. But finally, he's got a good idea. Um, he, 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 he's like, my, the servants have it better than me. Like, I know the situation back home is a lot better than this, and I know this situation that I'm in is really bad. So I'm, just gonna, I'm not going to ask my dad to be in the house because that's a little much because I took my, my portion of the house away. But what I can do is I can ask my dad if I can work for him. 
anything, just anything is better than this. His servants live better than this. The son, he creates this speech so that the father will feel compassion on him. But notice this, the son wants bread, he doesn't want the father. The son, he's wanting a, a job. He's wanting to not starve, but he's not wanting the father in the speech. The son is trying to enter into a transactional relationship with the father based on what he can do for the father. But here's a truth that you can walk away with. With our father in heaven, we do not enter into any transactional relationship with him. There's nothing that you can do for God. The only transaction was at the cross when Jesus ransomed our souls with his blood. That's the only transaction, and it's been made. There's nothing you can do to make God love you. Repentance does not come when we see how bad our situation is. The boy, I don't believe he repented there. Repentance happens when we set our eyes on the object of our affections. So let, let me show you this. I don't, I don't believe that this is the moment when the son repents. This, this speech is more like when you broke curfew in high school. Y'all, y'all, y'all have never done that. But for y'all, you know, you're, we've, we've all had that drive home where you're thinking, what am I going to tell them? So you create in your mind a speech that starts with, I'm so sorry. And you, you're getting that down and you're driving home. Like, ah, Mom and dad, I'll never do this. I'll, I'll never do this again. I'm sorry. I'll never stay out too late. And then as you, you know, you're, you're driving home. Moms ask a lot of questions. So you're, you're trying to get ready for the questions that might come. You know, who are you with? <sighs> okay, she's okay with Bill. So um, I'm going to tell her that me and Bill... We were out, and, well, she might hear from Johnny's mom that I went to Johnny's house. Um, Me and and Bill went to Johnny's house. I didn't want to go to Johnny's house, but Bill wanted to go to Johnny's house, so we went to Johnny's house, and we just stayed for a little bit. She's going to ask more questions. I don't know. My mom asked a lot of questions. Like, so the next question is, who was there, right? So you're trying to to make sure you tell only, because there's like 16 people there that they're not okay with you being there with, but like you're only naming the ones that you know that they're okay with you being there with. And you're like, so, um, okay, Bill, well, Bill and, Bill and Johnny were there. I mean, there, there were other people there. I didn't, I don't, you know, there were a lot of people there. Well, you know, once they find out you're at somebody's house, and they'll be like, well, was there any alcohol? And then, oh, that's, that, that one gets tricky, right? <sighs> How can I not lie? Um, well, the, they're, they're, um, I can't know what everyone had in their cups. <laughs> but me, I just drank ginger ale. I sat in the corner, and I was... I, w- I was mad at Bill the whole time because I just wanted to get out of there. You know, the, the, the kid's not sorry for what he did. He's sorry he got caught. And I feel like this is, this is more like what's going on here. Then the, the passage picks up. But while, the, but, but while the sun was still a long way off, while the sun was still a long way off, the father felt compassion on him, and ran to him. 
Look at, look at the text. The father, the, the, the son, once, once he sees this, he never gets that whole speech off. He never gets the speech off before the father comes to him. And then after he feels the compassion of the father, his speech is very different. But let's, let's stop for a second. Let's talk about this, this, this guy running. So in the, in the first century, it was shameful for, and this is going to be a man of age because he's got two grown sons, to show his legs in public. I don't know why, but that's a thing. And for him to, for him to run, so it was disgraceful for him to run because to run he would have had to show his legs because remember, these guys aren't wearing blue jeans. They're, they're in these man dresses, and for them to run, they would have had to take the back bottom of their, their man dress and pull it up have you heard the term gird your loins and make a giant man diaper? And that's how he would have had to run. So the father, he, he brought shame on himself before the community and before his servants to go to that son and in, in him even running to him. So the, the question we need to ask after that is, well, what would have motivated him to run? Because remember, these people live in a culture that has its own customs. Well, this is weirder than the old man showing his legs being, being a thing. So uh, apparently this happened enough that they had, its own, they had their own ritual for it, that when a young man would want his inheritance before the death of their father, and whenever they would go and squander it, when they would go to come back into the village, yeah, this is weird that this happened enough that this is a thing. Um, when they would come back into the village, the village elders would stop him and and they would, it, they would break these clay pots and scream, you are cut off from these people. And in so doing, they could not come into the community. They, they would not have shelter. They would not have people to trade with them. They could not use their wells. The father was willing to bring shame on himself before the community so that it would be clear that this ceremony would not be necessary. The father made it to where the only way that the son would be rejected is if he never came home. The only way that you're ever going to be rejected by God is if you don't come home. You're not too far from the love and forgiveness of God. He, he took, he took our, our sin and our shame so that we would not have to and as a result, we are restored, we are forgiven, and we are given a place in the household of God. There will be no rejection as long as you come home. Jesus put, put our shame on himself. Jesus became a curse for us. 2 Corinthians 5.21, you'll, you'll, you'll see it on the screen. It says, God made him who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God. Then Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it's written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Jesus became a curse for us. Christ, the king, he ran to us like the Father. We made, humanity made no move towards God, but God came to earth for us. I want you, I want you to see this. This is going to pop up on the screen. 
the cost of the shame was inconsequential to the prize of bringing his child home. Do you understand that you are the prize of Christ? He sought you. He bought you. You are his prize. And you are adored by him. The son never had an opportunity to give his speech. While he was a long way off, the father ran to him. Like, like the shepherd looking for the sheep, like the woman looking for the coin. The father had been waiting for the son the whole time to bring him home. And what we finally see in verse 21, look there, what I believe is the first genuine display of repentance after we see a genuine display of love. So, verse 21. Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Notice, he took all that other stuff out of the speech. All that stuff about trying to weasel his way back into the family, trying to work for the father. When he saw the compassion and the love of the father, he was done. He, he realized what he had done. He asks for nothing, but the Father gives him an invitation. Our relationship with the Father is not transactional. Our Father does, does not demand or allow us to, to pay restitution. Our Father does not allow payment in any way. Instead, the scandal of the cross is that he laid the weight of our sins on the shoulders of Christ, for the sinless to make the payment for the sinful. Like that's the gospel. That's what we're going to pound every, every Sunday from now till kingdom come. That's the gospel. And it's scandalous. The young son is not allowed to carry the weight of the offense. The father carries his, the weight of his offense in full. And if you don't think you're worthy of salvation this morning, like you're sitting here and you're lost and you're like, I'm just not worthy to come. You're right. But that's the gospel. Salvation is not about how bad you are. It's about how good and loving the Father is. Salvation is available. And if you just confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, the Bible tells that you, you will be saved. Here in a little bit, I'm going to come down for a in the time of invitation, that's when everybody stands up and sings. It might be weird to you if you're not in the church world, but I'm going to be down here, and I'll be happy to pray with you and talk to you about what it means to come to Christ. But let's, let's look at verse 22, because remember I told you earlier, we don't understand the delight that God takes in saving us. Look at, look at this father here, verse 22. Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For my son that was dead is alive again. He was lost and now he's found. And they began to celebrate. What should have been a, a ceremony of shame has now turned into a celebration from the father. The father, he extends grace to the son. And he yells at this servant. He says, go get the best robe. These people would have had, uh, a Jewish family would have had a, a robe of 
literally a robe of honor in their house to put on a guest. They, the son who covered himself with the filth of the world, the father is about to cover with the honor of the house. In Christ, we, get to, we don't deserve to wear his righteousness, but the Father clothes us with the righteousness of Jesus. So you got to understand this. When we stand before God in heaven, and, and, when, and when, we're, when we're before that great white throne, the only people that get to go through the pearly gates are those who are robed in the righteousness of Christ. The only way to get in is to be perfectly righteous and to be covered with righteousness, and Jesus has done that on the cross for us. The Father clothes us. He, he puts a robe of righteousness on us. The father put a robe on his son. Then, then it says that he put, he told him to go get, a, go get the ring and put it on his, his, his finger. That would have been a, a signet ring. And the one who wore the ring was a part of the family. The one who wore the ring carried all the authority of the house. The father, he doesn't just clothe him, but he also makes him a part of the family. And in Christ, we, we think about when we come to heaven, you know, we're just going to be like servants. You always, I, I heard that preacher growing up all the time. If I just get up there and get to sweep those streets of gold, that's cute. That's a good idea. I get what you're saying. I just want to be in. But that's, that's totally missing it. We are adopted as sons and daughters of the king. We, we aren't going there to be servants. We're servants now. But we're also children, and we are going to heaven to reign with God. It's bizarre. I don't get why he would invite us to do it, but it's been done. He says, put sandals on his feet. Remember the initial thing that the, the son wanted to do? He just wanted to go serve as a servant, right? Just, I want in. Well, servants would not have had the luxury of having shoes on their feet. The father has made it clear that the son is coming into the household with all the rights of being his son. We are sons and daughters of the king. And The father's love was not based on what the son could do for the father, right? Because the son couldn't do anything for him. And he offers all this before the son before the son says, let me work for you or anything like that, if that was ever going to make it into that second speech. But he, he, he says, go get that fatted calf. Sounds like a, a calf appointed from the time that the son left, right? And this, this, this has got gospel display all over it. Jesus was the lamb slain before the foundations of the earth. Jesus was appointed before a time that he would be our sacrifice. The, the father was ready to bring his son home from the time the son left. Let's pick up in verse 25. This, this, this part of the passage is normally left out when, when, when someone talks about the, the parable of the lost son. Now, his older son was in the field, and he came and he drew near to the house, and he heard music and dancing. And he called to one of the servants, and he asked, what do these things mean? And he said to him, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he's received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. 
his father came out to entreat him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I've served you. I've never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours came, not his, not his brother, when this son of yours came, who devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you're always with me, and what's mine is yours. It is fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this brother was dead and is alive. He was lost, but now he's found. You see, the father also extend grace to the self-righteous son. Remember, what's the context? I told you if you lose verse 1, you're going to miss the parable. He's speaking to the, to the sinner and to the religious. And the, the, the Pharisee, this would have been a backhand right across the face. They're, 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 it's, it's clear who this brother represents to them. The older son was coming in from the field. He heard music and dancing, and he was, what in the world's going on? He's asking that question. And then when he, he finds out that his brother had came home and there was a party for him, he refused to go in. But the father goes, like, you see this, this over and over again? The father went to the son while he was a long way off. The father went to this older brother and invited him into the party. This, the older son refuses the invitation. He wanted a party for himself. He didn't want the party that the father was throwing. And here's the deal. Sometimes we get all religious. And there's a guy, R.T. Kendall. He, he spoke last week at the uh, Waco uh, Baptist Association. He, he spoke for the big BGCT meeting. I, I heard him a, a year ago, and he was talking about revivals. He's a, he's a much older brother. He's in his late 80s. And he, he's talking about, he's only seen a couple genuine revivals break out in his lifetime. And he was, he was calling to the pastors who were in the room. And he, he was pleading with us that we wouldn't miss what God was moving, what God was doing, because it didn't look like what we expected it to look like. And he's like, he, he, he gave confession of missing out, and he gave confession of other brothers missing out. But some of us in the room might be too stuck on what we think religion and Christianity looks like because it's a model from the 80s or from the 60s that we're just really emotionally connected to and we might miss out on what God is actually doing because it doesn't feel like what we think it should feel like. And the Pharisees, you got to understand, these guys, they were the stuff. So, um, I'm way off notes now, so good luck on when we're going to finish. But the, the, the Pharisees, so you, you got to understand, the, the Assyrians, they, they, this was like the 300, y'all watch the movies, the 300, the Spartans, they, the, these are the guys that took over the world. They had taken over Jerusalem. And these Pharisees, one of these dudes, he shows up and he says, I'm done. And these group of religious zealots kick out the greatest war machine in the world, just a handful of men who were zealous for the word of God. They took up swords, 
They took up their Bible, they prayed, and they fought. But they were still living off what was done yesterday. And the one, the Messiah that they had been praying for showed up and they missed it. We're praying that the Spirit's going to show up and move. But we have to be open and willing to see where he's leading, right? Or we won't be any different than them. We'll, we'll miss the moving of the Spirit. So we got way off, but we'll, 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 we'll call some stuff and get back on. So the, the son, what he was wanting was so much less than what the father was offering him, right? He was wanting some goat when the father was out there offering him some steak. Y'all got some goats out here, but it doesn't taste like cow, I can tell you that. I think sometimes as Christians, we, we can identify more with this older son. You know, we, we, grew, we grew up in the church. We never really left the father's side. We, but, and we're genuine Christians. I'm not talking about somebody that's not a Christian. Um, but, you know, if we were honest, we would say we, we serve more out of duty than out of just an overflowing of love. And maybe some of you, you're kind of processing this and, and you start, you're, you're, you're trying to justify the way you're living and how you're doing your, your religious motions. You might be trying to justify your, the things that you're doing and here's the deal. The Father is not concerned about your performance. He wants intimacy with you. Now, yes, we're called to holiness. We're called to walk in obedience. If you want to see the Lord move, I think we're, I think we're going to collectively have to be walking in holiness. But His love for you is not based out of your performance. It's based out of the relationship, right? He just wants an intimate relationship with us. And... I think some of it, as we grow older, it's because we start maybe looking around at what other people have. And maybe, maybe you didn't end up in that job you thought you should have. And it's kind of made you a little bitter. Or maybe you haven't had that bank account you thought you should have or the house you thought you should have or the, the health and the life you feel like you deserve because you've been really good to God. And... You think, you know, if I had those things, I would just use it so much better than him or her. And you're so worried about what you don't have. And you're just constantly thinking about what you feel like you should have. You're missing out on the blessing that, that you could have right now because God has better plans for you than you do. God has better plans for you than you do. God loves you more than you love yourself. And God has put you in a specific place in a specific time in history so that he would receive the most glory from you living out your faith where you are. So maybe, maybe that's something we need to repent of right now, that we've just grown bitter and we've, we've, we've lost that intimacy 
We've just, we've just had the routine down, and we're not spending real time and real devotion with our Father. Because we see in, with both sons, what does the Father want? He wants the sons. He doesn't want anything they can give him. He just wants them with him. And as we, as we close, I just, I'm going to invite you to a time of invitation here in a minute. And maybe, maybe that's some stuff we can work through. Maybe, maybe you can give that over to God. But also, we see a God who searches, right? And we want, during this Christmas season, to participate in that searching ministry. And so, we're, next week we're starting a Christmas series, uh, The Glory of the King. Every, every, every Sunday in December, we're going to be celebrating Jesus. We're going to be talking about the Incarnation. And also, we have the, we have the Living Nativity coming. And it's, it's pretty daunting when we think about inviting somebody to church. But I'll tell you this, I, I've had two encounters in the last two weeks that I want to encourage you with. So, one, I was, I was in Waco and I was talking to a guy and I just kind of felt like, okay, he's kind of asking me about myself, so I'm going to ask him where he's from. Oh, he's from China Springs. But I was kind of, I mean, we we're in Waco. For some, it was weird. I kind of felt intimidated in it. And I'm like the preacher, like this should be the thing I do, right? It doesn't, it doesn't mean I'm, I don't have stuff going on. Like, and I, I went ahead and I was like, hey, uh, so down where than Ben, I'm actually the pastor of this church, so this is another thing. And you know what his words to me were? Me and my wife just moved here from Austin, and we've been waiting to find a church. Now, he hasn't came yet, and I'm going to go, I know where he works, so I'm going to go back. But um, he's been waiting. Um, there's, a, there's another person uh, that were invited by a friend, and they were telling the story about how they got there, got here. And they're like, yeah, I've been here for a while in the town. And finally, they invited me, and the, the person kind of presented it like, ah, this may not be something you're interested in. And they're like, no, I've been waiting to be invited. People are 80%, 83% more likely to come to church if invited by a friend. God has put you in, in all your worlds with all your different connections so that he can seek and search out the lost through you. And, you know, I get evangelism, that I get sharing the gospel. That's intimidating. Inviting is intimidating. So one thing that we did, Brandon and, and Miss Jordan, they worked real hard on these. Um, we've got 30 of them ready out here. The printer that at the print shop we were at broke, but um, we'll, we'll have more ready. But what I'm going to ask you to do with this is I want you to pray about one person that is not connected to a church. Maybe they used to be connected here and they're not connected anymore. Maybe they're, maybe they're far from God. Maybe it's just somebody that God's had on your heart for a long time. What it is, it's a, just a really pretty ornament, something that they would actually want to put on their tree. And on the back of it is just information about when the living nativity is, when, when the church services are. And what I'm going to ask you to do is, we got, I think, 35 out there. You can come steal this one from me after this. But take one of these and pray for who God would use you to seek. And I'm going to, we're going to, the band's going to come on down. And as we, as we have this time of invitation, I'm going to ask, ask you, 
Like, come down and pray and ask the Lord who he would put on your heart. And maybe, maybe you're not ready to give it to him this week. Maybe, maybe, maybe you just need to start opening the door to your heart and asking God, where are you going to lead me? But I'm going to ask you to come down and pray and ask God who he would put on. Who's this one person that if you invited that they might come? Because the goal is not getting people in the church house. The goal is that we would see lost people come to Christ. The goal is that we would see undiscipled Christians get discipled and that they would make disciples. We want to see the people of China Spring making disciples. I want to see the people of Oak Grove making disciples where they live, work, and play. And this is one easy way to start the process. So we're gonna, I'm going to pray, and I'm just going to ask you to, to move as the Lord leads. But if you pick one of these up, I want you to understand what you're doing is you're committing. You're committing to God that you're going to answer his call and invite your one.